Jesus Christ. He is the only hope for eternal life. And in case it got past you somehow, eternal life begins now. We're not waiting for a time. We're not waiting for a moment. He is currently the true hope for life. He is now the hope for all of mankind and for every individual human. Every man has a desperate need that can only be addressed by God's own provision, Jesus Christ his Son. He alone can deal with guilt and sin. He alone can appoint you to new life. He alone can bring us into oneness and unity with God the Father because he alone, he himself, Jesus our Lord, is our refuge and all hope belongs to him. My name is Matt Burton, your host for Well-Placed Faith, an hour-long program about life, liberty, and the pursuit of Jesus Christ. We have something a little more Christmassy for our startup music this morning. We usually bring to you something from a group uh, called the Digital Age, but uh, th- there, I've actually had questions. Who is it that does your starting music? It's, it's the Digital Age. Uh, and by the way, they have a new album out, but uh, we have something a little more Christmassy for you starting now. Prince of Peace, hail the Son of Righteousness. The third verse of of Hark the Herald Angels Sings, uh, and it's it's my favorite uh, verse of the song Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Everybody knows that song, um, but the third verse may get by us. I think it's the most appropriate, the most beautiful, and it, and it suggests uh, perhaps the most about who Christ is and, and what it is that he has come uh, to do and, and to be. All right, so today what I wanted to do was I wanted to take a look at several verses, several verses. No, no embarrassment at bringing to you uh, a bunch of verses from the Bible today. But I find that oftentimes, here's what winds up happening. We, we may even have people go to church, or perhaps they don't go to church, but they hear these stories and uh, then are left 
sort of with uh, just a, well, okay, I'm aware of this story as a story. For instance, Noah and the Ark. Uh, we, we have uh, children's ministries. Every one of them presents the story of Noah and the Ark. And it's a beautiful story. It, it really is. It, it's tragic and, and uh, full of just remorseful things, but at the same time, it's also full of wonder and grace. What I want to do is I want to suggest, of course, firstly, that this is not just a story in the sense of being a uh, tale, mythos of some kind, but rather I want for people to recognize, I want for people to understand that this is uh, a, a reality, that the flood did happen. I think that I can say that and uh, be completely confident in that, not only because the Bible says so, but because it's uh, verified in, in several different ways. But with that in mind, do we know what that story is even there for? Again, we have our children learn that story when they go to Sunday school or maybe even vacation Bible school or something, and we kind of have demoted it to one of those children's stories, and it's good for children to know. But it's also more than just Noah built an ark and brought the critters all in sundry aboard two by two, which those aren't even actually all of the numbers, two by two and seven by seven. But, uh, my point for, for bringing that up, I want people to know the story behind the story or the, the purpose behind the narrative. So let's go to Genesis chapter 6. And uh, some of this is going to be informing. Some of this is going to be preaching. Some of this is going to be trying to connect with people. Because I think, again, most of the listenership is going to have at least heard of the story of Noah. If nothing else, there was that uh, movie that came out not too long ago about Noah and the Ark, and I did not see it. I, I didn't uh, have enough uh, respect for the Enterprise, actually, to go and, and view it. But uh, we have the story that comes to us from Genesis. And I'm not sure that we even know what the book of Genesis is about on the main. I think people know that there was a creation story that was given, and uh, you know God said, "Let there be light," and then He made stuff, and He made man out of some dirt, and and then Eve was taken from Adam's side, and well, that's certainly all very weird and very mythological and strange and uh, so forth. But I, I don't think that that's the best way of regarding how Genesis begins. But I'm going to take most of that as rote. For this morning, what I want to do is I want to look at Noah and the ark and the events there. But I want to do so in the light of what happens before that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It is created. There is a creator and the funny thing about that is to try to actually point that out to someone. It is so obvious that if you don't see it, I shouldn't suspect there's a way of actually pointing it out anymore. 
than just to simply open your eyes or to simply hear. If God doesn't reveal that to you, then I don't know what more can be done uh, for the person not aware that God is the creator. We don't want to bring a picture of who God is to the text necessarily. Uh, you can't be perfectly blank slated as you come and look at these, at these words. But what we do get is that God is a creator. I can remember talking with some of my children as uh, we were walking down a wooded path. And there were three stones stacked on top of one another. And the three stones were very obviously a marker. And my kids pointed this out. They were able to look and to see that there were three stones that were stacked on top of one another. And they were able to detect, with that human faculty of identification, they were able to look and see three stones stacked on top of one another. And these are just rather ordinary-looking stones, sort of flattish, but stacked one on top of the other. They were able to see and they were able to know that you do not stack and balance three rocks on top of one another unless there is someone who did that. There is a stacker behind, causally speaking, these three rocks being stacked. What they didn't understand was what the point of that was. I had to explain. They, they could see automatically, hey, somebody stacked three stones on top of each other right there. That doesn't happen uh, that way, you know, it, it's too uh, precise to be just at random. But I had to explain that that's to show us that we're on the path. So being on the path uh, is maybe not as intuitive as being able to recognize that somebody stacked these rocks. But once you can put two and two together that way, uh, you can begin to see the picture a little bit better. Well, here is God in the beginning creating the heavens and the earth. And if you can't look outside and see that there is a creator, then you, know, you don't have to see the creator. You didn't have to see the rock stacker to know that the, sta the stones were stacked. But uh, if you can't look out and see that there is a creator, then I would like for you to take a second glance. I would like for you to look a little more closely. Uh, it's sort of like looking at a painting and, and having to wonder if someone painted that. If there is a painting, there is a painter. Uh, that seems obvious to me from the word go, but that may not seem so for others. But the earth, again, going back to the earth as the creation of God, and God as its creator. He created not only the earth, but everything surrounding it, including the far-flung universe, uh, including light, including uh, every other thing that has come into existence. The earth was formless and void, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. There is the Spirit of God superintending over creation. Then God says, let there be light, and so forth. And what we see is that uh, event by event, God calls creation good. God calls creation good. God calls creation good. After each iteration, creation is notably pronounced by God as being good. 
And then he puts man, who is made in the image and, and in the likeness of God. Man is given the position of being ruler over it. God says, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule. Let them rule over all of the critters. Let them rule over creation. The fish, uh, the birds, the cattle, on down the line. So God created man in his own image, and this is male and female. It's not merely males. Don't get the idea when, when it says man that that means merely the male human being. But mankind was made and given this position, given this blessing to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth and to subdue it and to rule over the uh, creatures and the critters and nature itself, rule over the earth that God created good. But man introduces sin. Yes, the serpent comes to tempt, and yes, God had given the command to not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but it's man, that is to say the female and the male, who team up as God's head of creation. They team up to defy God, to try to be God themselves, or to be their own uh, guiding force, doing it their own way. They submit to the devil. And in doing this, they introduce sin into creation. Man is the head of creation. Man is the head of the earth. Creation was granted to mankind. And so now here's man sinful, betraying, wayward, turned from God, and God brings down uh, disciplinary action, uh, punitive action, and actually gives a curse, not only to the serpent for his responsibility, and not only to the woman for her responsibility, and not only to the man for his responsibility, but also he curses the ground. He curses nature. Thistles and, and thorns are going to grow up. Uh, by the sweat of your face, you will eat your bread. Uh, it, it, toil will be uh, given to man. Work was always there, but now there's toil. And, of course, the wage of sin is death. You're going to die. You're going to die now. And it's because of Adam, <coughs> and it's because of Eve, it's because of our uh, human predecessors, Adam and Eve, and their willingness to introduce sin into creation. It's because of them that now Original sin uh, we, is a uh, doctrinal theme, but uh, original sin attends our way. Sin and corruption, uh, guilt, death, all of these things are, are now part of the human makeup. And please don't anybody think that Adam and Eve are somehow worse than or more terrible than anybody else. Uh, there is 
There have been lots and lots of pastors that have commented on this, and lots of uh, Bible scholars who have commented on this. And I'll just be one more. There's enough solidarity between Adam and Eve and myself, Adam and Eve and yourself, that if you had been there, you would have done the same thing. You would have done the same thing. We are all sewn of similar fabric. That's one of the points that needs to be got out of this. But what happens when you let mankind sort of go on his own like that? Not utterly without guidance. God speaks. God tells them what they ought to do and and what they ought not to do. And yet they defy. They go astray. I want to suggest, uh, amicably, uh, nicely, that you too are capable of precisely the same thing. But what happens? Adam and Eve go astray, they then have children, and almost immediately we have the story of Cain killing Abel. Sin is crouching at your door, Cain, but you must master it. Murder is brought in. Murder is the opposite of life. We can see that life is deteriorating, uh, that it's, it's life is worth less than vengeance is. Uh, that it's worth less than the zeal of covetousness. So as we watch sin develop and unfold and grow, what we also see is that mankind falls in under the headship of Adam and falls in under the the same line of abilities to reject God's good. And this just blossoms, if you will. I don't, I don't think blossom, it's a beautiful kind of an idea for something so horrible and wicked. And it, it corrodes is what it really does. And it affects everything to the point that by the time you get to chapter 6 of the book of Galatians, chapter 6, man had begun to multiply on the face of the land and development of all kinds was uh, taking place. But what we see is that, verse 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Okay, this introduces uh, several different things that we could talk about here. But I first want to say that please understand that I'm trying to suggest to you by way of historically orthodox Christianity that you are in simpatico with those same human hearts, that you yourself are a testimony of this wickedness of man that is great on the earth, and that Every intent of the thoughts of his heart, uh, mankind that is, is only evil continually. What is this terrible thing that I'm accusing you of? I'm saying that you are a man, that you are a human being, that you are not only capable of sin, but that you, uh, given over, given the ability and the power, uh, you would be, you know, being left to yourself, sin left to do its own blossoming and blooming, uh, would would wreak utter and complete and total havoc if God did not do something to keep sin in check. 
Sinner, do you have anything that you'd like to say? Yes, I would like to chime in with uh, my redeemed thoughts from me. <laughs> Formerly uh, sinful, uh, uh, convoluted thinking. Because I've been redeemed, uh, yeah. it's amazing, Matt, that we can... I thought about this earlier, uh, you know, if we started a congregation and call it the Holy Ones, wouldn't we get a, a an eye or w- wouldn't we get a look, you know? The Holy Ones, the, the, or had, had a building and put the House of the Holy on it. Hmm. Isn't that amazing that we can be holy? Hmm. It's almost unimaginable, but we're made holy. I would think that the ordinary passerby would look at that and self-identifying would look across and not say, yes, they are holy, but there would be something inside of them that would testify and say, wait a minute, there's something very proud about that. There's something, no, there's no way. Those people can't possibly be telling the truth. They're not holy. They're claiming to be holy, but they have got, because there's something inside of they're us that says. They're full of themselves. They're, right, right, right. Because there's something inside of them that would testify and say, oh, they're not holy. Why? Because I'm not holy. You know, uh, as you were talking earlier... However I am, because of Jesus. There, I wanted to just throw yes. that in there. Go ahead. We, we are because of Jesus, only because of him. That's it, period. And it's amazing yeah. that we can be holy in the sight of God. Uh, I, I, I don't comprehend all of it. But back to my uh, statement I'm trying to produce here. Um, Dr. Adrian Rogers, you know, a known preacher. Dr. Adrian Rogers. Wordsmith and... Uh, had this great voice, uh, said one time, uh, how would you like to be, or can you imagine Adam and Eve on Judgment Day? And that really hit home to me. You know, can, yeah, if nobody had sinned until 1971, August 19th, well, there'd been a sinner born, you know, I, I would have done it. <laughs> but uh, the fact is that they did, and they probably realized the magnitude of their situation, but probably did not realize the magnitude of what it would turn into, as you keep saying, right. what it blossomed into. Yeah. To them, it was expulsion from the garden. We're kicked out. Now you're going to toil, labor, you're going to sweat, you're going to, everything's going to be hard. You yeah. know, yeah. There, there's, there's no easy street here. Right. And you're out, and, and the garden's been guarded, so you can't get back in. Right. And, and it's going to be rough, you know, and sin is now in this great place. Yeah. But yet, look at what it's come to. Look at the magnitude, uh, you know, of sin, the result. Yeah, it is because of what Adam and Eve did, and I don't want to uh, just simply beat up Adam and no. Eve. That that's not the point. But I want I want folks to see this just like you do, that because of what they did, they had to watch their two sons be at enmity with one another. They had to watch one of their sons die by way of murder. That was their fault. We would like to say that it was Cain killed Abel, but it was Adam ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Yes, I did. Look at what you have done. Well, really, the question is, what have you done? But, I mean, it ought to come with that same strength of, look at what you have done. You know, it's not like God didn't know what they had done. 
So what we see is that now it has developed and it has blossomed. Not that we can say, uh, you know, rather than Flip, uh, Flip Wilson, was that his name? The devil made me do it. You yeah. remember that line? Uh, rather than saying the devil made me do it, turning that into Adam and Eve made me do it. We don't want to do that, but we do want to see that human action left to itself, counter to who God is and what he commanded. Because of that, very sobering, very, very distressing news. Children die. Grandmas get cancer. There is pillaging and violence and violation and a loss of innocence and on down the line, you know, and we can watch that develop through the Old Testament and into the New Testament. That is part of the Christmas story that we're coming up on. Because of what Adam and Eve had done, we see children dying during Christmastide when Jesus is being born and Herod is coming in and we just see him recapitulating um, some of the events. There it is. Death Sin, given its sway, what can possibly be done with that? Well, pulling it back, we want to see some of what the introductory formula would say. And that's why we're in Genesis. We're looking at Genesis chapter 6, and we see that man has begun to multiply. That was God's blessing to them. He did not re, uh, He didn't take away that blessing to multiply, it, chapter 6 begins with that. It came about that when men began to multiply, God's blessing was having its way. And what was man doing about it? Grieving God. God was sorry. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. What is the solution for sin? And realize that it is sin that grieves God. Humans have a wonderful capacity, believe it or don't, humans have the capacity to bless God. That's a marvelous thing to think in those terms. But it's been forfeited by sin. Sin is in no wise pleasing, but only grieving. God cannot wink at sin and say, well, you know, I know that you gave it your best there. That was, you know, you were just looking out for old number one. I, I get it. God can't do that. That's not something that's going to do. So in God's sorrow, and hear that, God realizing that man is not lining up with God's good intention for him, God wanted them to be blessed. That's how the chapter starts off, was recapitulating the fact that God had blessed them. They were multiplying. God wants them to be blessed. They've gone astray. The Lord is now sorry that he made man. He's grieved in his heart. God has an emotional response. What can be done with sin? That's what the book of, uh, I'm sorry, that's what the story of Noah is really all about. What can be done with sin? What can be done about sin? I don't want us to turn this into the children's story of Noah, where you got the little chubby book and you open it up and there's the cute little lions and the cute little whatever, and they're all two by two getting on this nice boat looking thing. The story is what can be done about sin? What is the wage of sin? I've already said it. What is the wage of sin? Well, it's death. Death it's is, is death. the penalty. The, that's what you earn with That's sin. what you earn. That's, that's right. What, what, is, that's it, what the, is a wage? It's what you get for what you've that's done. That's the profit. Yeah, that's right. You, you invested this. This was your return. This is what you got out of the deal. Uh, and then as Paul tells us in the book of Romans, sin takes hold of you and he hands you over to death. 
he'll sell you to death, and death will take you and never let go of you, except for uh, can't hold on to you. Well, sin sin is your master until you've been released right. from him. Right. Uh, he's your master. That's right. And, and death is finality for the sinner. I mean, he's he's not going. He he's going to be resurrected for punishment. Yeah. But it's death. It's dying. You know, for eternity. It's, yeah. Now maybe we need to back up just a second to actually. We'll do more at the beginning of of the book of Genesis. We'll take more looks at this. But I really want us to do business with what does God do with sin, or how does God deal with sin? But realize that when Cain kills Abel, Abel got to die, okay? But then what happens to Cain? Part of his penalty is... He lives. That's a fact. I, I, I was going to bring that up earlier uh, while you were talking about it. The Cain's punishment was that he lived. God, God didn't hate Cain, no, nor yeah. did he, nor was he... Um, yes, he was angry at the situation yeah. or yeah. At, at his actions. Yeah. But he, he didn't despise Cain when Cain, you know, said somebody, you know, well, it was going to kill me or, you know, no. He even provides for him. Yeah. Even provides for him. And so, uh, you know, again, anytime we mention sins and, and some of them are obvious, some of them are not so obvious, some of them we try to hide, whatever, but anytime we're talking about sin... It's not that God hates the sinner. He hates the sin. It separates. It keeps you from the presence of God. Right back to the garden, they were in a holy place in the presence of Almighty God. Yeah. And sin cannot be in that presence. Right, right. Uh, therefore, God has to expel it. That's part of what uh, uh, expulsion is, is a physical drama expression of uh, death. They are expelled. They are separated from God that way. You know, and, and am I willing to tell all of the people listening today, uh, the elderly, the very young, uh, those who are um, uh, deacons at their church even, or people who are doing their best to live a good life, am I willing to tell those people, every one of them, that they're all sinners? Yeah. Yeah, I am. I am. But, okay, so let me just give you this as an illustration. If any of you happen to have relatives uh, who served in the military and they've died in service, you're visited at your home. If you're the parents of a young man who has gone to serve and, and uh, the young man has died in the service... They will send two men to your door. You know, if it depends on what branch you are, of course, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, what have you. But uh, two servicemen will come to your door and will knock on your door, ring the bell. And when you go, you see these two men standing there in full dress. And you know, you know, just by their presence, you know something terrible has happened. But then... It's not enough just to see the reality standing at your door. They will tell you. They will tell you. One of the men will speak to you and will say in, in winsome terms, we're very sorry to inform you that, and they will give the rank and the name, and they will say he, he has uh, been killed in, in service, in, in, in duty or whatever, and give you some of the details. 
And if you will not believe them, because that's what happens. You're hit by this. You're concussed by that information. And you want to reject it. You want to step back and say, no, no, that can't be true. It can't be as bad as all that. The other one will then produce an official document, and he will read to you that information. Okay? It is one thing for me to come and stand at your door and tell you, look, here's the news. You are a sinner. The penalty is death. Everyone you know will come under that penalty. But in case you don't believe me, I will do precisely what they do in the military because they know the power of the written word. I will read to you what you need to hear. And that is, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart, mankind's heart, was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. The word tells us that man is sinful. And if you want, you can try to refute that, but I think all you have to do is open the newspaper and you will see irrefutable proof that man is full of defilement and degradation and violence and violation. Not just to run roughshod over the flood uh, narrative, but we understand Noah, his wife, three sons and their wives uh, were the only human beings to escape the flood. Noah's yeah. family, God gave yeah. them the ark. Yeah. Um, and you, you know, one would assume, okay, God has wiped the slate clean. He's got, uh, you know, the representative of animals on the ark, what we need, mm -hmm. everything that he wants to preserve is preserved. Yeah. But just, you know, short time uh, on, on a timeline, we come to the Tower of Babel. Directly you know, and after. you would think that God... You know, uh, well, he's, he's fixed everything, and a lot of times we think, you know, we, we've fixed everything, we got rid of the bad, well, you know, here it pops back up. Or God yeah. lets, you know, allows people, because he didn't make robots, Yeah. he didn't He didn't make drones, Right. he made people, mm -hmm. and the these eight people here, uh, out of the... You know, the three married couples, the, the younger ones, procreate. And, you know, the, the population increases over a time. And, and it just reverts back to, you know, the wickedness. Yeah. Left unchecked, you yeah. know, if they're not. And that, that is our responsibility, to bring this generation, to bring our generation, to bring our people, our family, under the guidance, under the... Watchful eye of God's word. Bring it under subjection. We have that responsibility, as Christians especially, we have the responsibility to bring or to announce the uh, uh, word of God and bring the, uh, those around us, mm -hmm. or at least offer it to them, to bring them into subjection to the word of God. Now, we can, 
bring them to the water. We can't make them drink, but we can bring them to the water. <laughs> um, Interesting uh, metaphor when you're talking about Noah. Yes. <laughs> Lots of water. Um, but again, um, I heard an old man say, well, you can't. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink unless you feed him a lot of salt, and then he will drink. <laughs> so that's what we want to do. We want to feed you the salt, uh, the good, good stuff, the things that that preserve, the things that uh, you know are the flavor of the word, the the. Uh, shows the preservation of God's word. We want to present that to you to say that there is hope in this dark world. There's hope. There is an ark. And his name is Jesus. You can get on that ark and you're preserved. You have no worries uh, about your salvation, if you will, the preservation of your soul. It may still look a little shaky at times, but you will come through this. So the question, and, and you've, you've done a great job of pointing forward to what's going to wind up happening, but the question is, what is the solution to sin? And the answer is death. You won't sin no more with, when you die. The no. answer to sin is death. If when you're alive, you're going to sin, the wage you will reap, death. Now, I wonder if that bothers people. We don't talk about that in Sunday school when we got the little kids and we are telling them the story of Noah and the ark. What we don't tell them is that the story of Noah and the ark is the story of how the solution to sin is death. You die. You cross God. You die. Is there any... That's bad news, okay? Is is there... Corruption is really allowed to exhaust itself. Corruption is allowed to do what it does to its fullest extent, and it burns itself out. But there has to be a greater hope than just simply letting dog eat dog and creation annihilate creation. Or... Or there has to be a better plan than just a man. Noah was just a man. He, he feared right, God. Right, he loved right. God. He did upright in God's sight. God chose him to do that work. Yeah. Noah did not save anybody. That is right. You know, Matt, I, I don't care. I'm going to share this story, however it sounds. Uh, um, I, I was I used to drive a truck, and I was down in Tennessee one time, and uh, I just remember the location. That really has nothing to do with it. But... I was listening to the radio, traffic was heavy and stuff, I was outside of Nashville and, uh, you know, it was kind of rush hour or whatever. Um, my mind was just, you know, you, you have time to think sometimes. I was just kind of thinking along about nothing specifically, uh, maybe thinking about God's Word and the Bible. All of a sudden, my radio, the AM, FM radio, kind of statics for a minute and blank, and then I hear uh, over that, I, I have no idea where it come from, what station. Again, I, I wasn't paying attention to that. And I hear these words, God shut the door, Noah didn't do it. Mm. And about that time, static, and then nothing. <laughs> That's all I heard <laughs> of that. But I got the message. You know, I, I, I don't know, again, I, I have no idea whether that was just for me or that was a broadcast that I was just in and out of. <laughs> God shut the door. Noah didn't do it. That has rung in my mind so many times. Noah built that ark. He 
planned everything. He laid, put the pieces in place. Uh, you know, I don't know how the animal thing happened, but God had a hand in it. <laughs> That's a fact. Uh, That's a fact. <laughs> God brought those animals there. Noah just provided the labor. The, the you know, he he just provided the uh, the service, if you will. He yeah. was a servant of God. God shut that door. Is what the Genesis tells us. Yeah. And then the rains came. He sealed them. Yeah. God sealed them. God shut the door. Yeah. And then the rains came. Yeah. Yeah. And the rain is uh, illustrative of judgment. You yes. Know? And, and so really we're left with this kind of stark news that we are sinners. You know, that's just a matter of fact. I hope nobody thinks that I am slandering you because I really don't think that you can slander human nature. I really don't think you can, okay? No. But here we are in this position, and if you're honest, I think that you will recognize the need of a Savior, all right? But therein lies the question. Is there any better news than just simply being handed over to death? A letting corruption, or not being able to defy corruption. Corruption simply being allowed to exhaust itself even on you. Is there another solution? And the answer to that is, yes. The very next verse says, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. There are two solutions to sin. One, the broad way. Judgment and death. Anybody can do it. Everybody is er on it. <laughs> everybody, that's right. The other is grace. Noah found favor favor in the eyes of the Lord. Apart from that line, that would have been the end of the story. Apart from the fact that Noah found favor, Noah got grace. That's the solution. That's the solution that really saves. Noah was granted grace. God applied his grace to him. Now, for the uh, person who may not be schooled in the Bible or what you say, well, how did Noah find favor in the eyes of the Lord? There, there wasn't Jesus yet, and you're, you're right. right. There wasn't a Jesus yet, but Noah trusted in God. That's it. He knew that God would provide a way. Uh, you know, it had never rained before, and here's the, the crazy old man building an ark. You know, and it's not Hollywood's version. Uh, I, I, I'm really glad that Hollywood brought it to people's attention. But the, the latest Hollywood movie about Noah is, does not depict the Bible, nor did they intend to depict the right, Bible. Right, right, right. Yes. Please, Christians, drop that. They did not intend to, to uh, portray the Bible. They're trying to bring entertainment. They were just bringing entertainment. And yes, there are uh, numerous flood stories yeah. in other cultures. But the thing... The thing is that there are these stories, uh, you know, they, many of them do, uh, do coincide with what the Bible says. It's just they put their spin on it. Yeah, lateral testimony. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, you know, with that, I, I want to, uh, you know, to go back to what I said from the start about the house of the holy. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I were to say, well, I'm a pastor of the Holy Church down here. <laughs> well, and or Matt, he's got the Holy Church next door. He's the pastor there. He He's the ho holy pastor. 
go in. You can be saved there. Do I mean that Matt uh, can save you? No. No. no, but if he preaches the gospel message, you can get on the ark. You can be saved. There is salvation for you today. Yeah. No, we, we are not capable. Well, we have the message. Noah was not capable of saving anybody. That's right. But he was a servant of God. He found favor in God's eyes, and he served God. Noah had to get on the boat. The yes. family had to get on the boat. You know, I mean, that, that's kind of how that works. God said, you know, hey, there's judgment coming. I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy. That, that's what God said. That's what he's going to do. And, and the earth is going to perish. But I will establish my covenant with you. I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And every living thing of all flesh, representative, that is to say, bring all these different critters on board, and there you go. Noah did according to all that God had commanded him. So he did. He believed God. He trusted him. He, he accorded with God there. Now, here's the thing. Apart from the covenant, it would not have happened and could not have happened, but... I will, God says, I will establish my covenant with you. That you is singular. Sometimes in English you can say you and you mean youans or y'all. Uh, but you in this case is singular. I will establish my covenant with you, singular, and you, singular, shall enter the ark. But then because of you, we're looking at headship again. Remember that when Adam was the head over all of creation, Adam's sin turned everything upside down, and creation, not only was the man penalized, the woman was penalized, and creation was penalized for this. Now, what we see is that, again, headship is at work. You, Noah, can get on the ark, but because of you being the head, then also those that you represent, your wife, and your sons and your wives, uh, your sons' wives with you and all of them. Now, that's not how salvation works. Salvation works meaning that you alone are saved by your testimony of faith. You believe on Christ. But what I want to say is that Christ is the head. Just like Noah was, and because of that, the others could get on with him because the covenant was struck, the covenant was cut with Noah and the rest of them could be rescued as well, the covenant was cut with Jesus, and because he is the head, all of those that belong to him can be saved as well. Do you belong to Jesus? That's the only hope of your salvation. The, the, the flood uh, is going to come. Uh, not a physical water flood. In fact, we're guaranteed that by the word, that a water flood is not going to be the way that God judges the world in the future. It's going to come a different way but that it's going to come. That's, that's evident. And now, rather than just trying to simply throw at you these uh, uh, scary terms, judgment, death, sin, all that, here's the hope. Is there another way? Yes, there has been a covenant cut in the person of Jesus Christ, and favor can be found in the eyes of the Lord. And if you will hear and believe and trust and allow for Jesus, not Noah, but Jesus to be the head, trusting him, you can be saved. 
Well, we and we talk about this, you know, the death being finality and of, of this life. You know, mm-hmm. of course, you know, our spiritual being goes on past this life, but your your decision is made in this life. You know, when you're in this body, then this mortal image and and again i keep reiterating i couldn't save anybody yet right there is something you know we always say you hear this all the time you never see a a, a hearse following a u-haul you know or a u-haul following a hearse vice versa <laughs> uh, it just a hearse with a u-haul trailer on it no but there is something that you can take to heaven Besides yourself. It's those around you. As Matt said a while ago, you may have a testimony and everything. Uh, uh, you might not can save anybody, but your testimony may be what leads them to salvation. Maybe what leads them to Jesus. So I'm saying today, if you have a testimony, if you're a Christian, you have a testimony. And with that testimony, share that with your family. You can take them to heaven if they receive it. You can take your friends and co-workers to heaven with you if they receive it. You have you have the ark for them, and you are you, your own personal testimony can be a witness of that ark, of that salvation. Right. And we're spiritualizing with the word ark there and, and so yes. forth. Please just allow that as a uh, spiritualization. Uh, but, uh, you know, recognize that the, the point remains the same. There is a salvation that's available, and we want to put that out there. It ought to be completely obvious that there is a judgment coming. You know, we're so enamored with this idea of progressivism. Things are getting better and better, and has anybody opened their eyes to look around? Anybody that believes that line, that things are getting better and better, just look around. You know, Uh, life always has been hard. Life always has been dirty. I'm not suggesting anything to the otherwise. Uh, People have always kind of had this bent towards sin. We're we're not that different. But what I want to say is that we're not uh, left to things simply having to get better and better by man's efforts at progressivism. Recognize things the way that they are. You can see that nature accords with mankind. Uh, man doesn't necessarily have to just go around uh, um, destroying the earth. Uh, man being sinful leads to the destruction of the earth. So what's to be done with this? Well, it's not just going on destroying. Please note, it is not just going on destroying. We're not capable of making it better. Every, in fact, every attempt of man to try to make the world better leads to it getting worse and worse, you know? It's kind of crazy that we see uh, these attempts at green, uh, I don't know, the whole enterprise of being green. What we actually see is that uh, having electric cars and things is more pollutative. Every step at trying to make things better only makes it worse. If we wanted something clean, we would have stuck with horse-drawn carriages made out of completely renewable uh, sources there. But every attempt at making it better makes it worse. There's only one thing that's going to make it better. God is going to have to recreate. He's going to have to recreate. Again, that's the story of Noah. We're going to see at the end of the story, God re-begins, replants. 
uh, re-sows, begins again, new creation. But new creation there, though it's a reality that he, the flood subsided and the, the world sort of began anew, it's only a drama or a picture of what was intended, that Christ alone recreates. What is it that in Galatians chapter 6, uh, the very last part there uh, says that uh, neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. That's what matters, that you are a new creation. Let Christ have you. Let the same Holy Spirit that brooded over and superintended over creation at the beginning and made creation good, God declared it good. Let that same Holy Spirit indwell, dwell and brood over you and superintend and make the recreation good. Let God declare it good. Let the creation be renewed and restored. <clears throat> the verse before what you just quoted, Matt, says, But as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Today, folks, is a good day to die. Hmm. Die to this world. Yes. Surrender yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will bring you to life. He will give you new life. He, he won't just revamp the old one. He will give you new life. Because uh, Paul writes, the old things have passed away that behold the new have come. That's right. He regenerates them and he remakes it. He makes a regenesis out of you. Right. He makes a new creature out of you. And the old things are passed away. Take time. Right now, to say, Lord Jesus Christ, come into my life, cleanse me, make me holy. If you think that sounds outrageous or outlandish, it doesn't, because he is holy. Let him make you holy today. You'll understand what I mean. Yes, you're still a flawed human being, but he will make you holy. He will sanctify you and set you apart for the day of reward. In the name of Jesus, Matt. Our hope, uh, to quote from a, uh, a hymn, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Uh, it really comes down to that. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. He alone is the only true hope. You have not sinned away the day of grace. Grace is calling to you right now. You are hearing a couple of Noahs calling to you, get on the boat. There is hope. There is salvation. Get on the boat. Come to Christ Jesus so that you can be spared, so that you can be rescued, so that you can be saved. More on this next week as we talk through this some more because we want you to see this. But today, now, turn to the Lord in faith. Just call out to him. He's Don't say that I will do it with my last breath. You may not have that chance. Don't put it off. Do not delay. Do this now in the name of Jesus.